Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's been said that at a dinner table, or especially in public, a person shouldn't talk about religion or politics. One can get in trouble because sometimes uh, uh, a pleasant conversation can become anything but pleasant. How about your conversations about religious topics? How do they usually go? Are they congenial? Do they flow smoothly? Or do you find yourself sometimes in contention with conflict and, and uh, disturbing uh, emotions? Sometimes it's hard not to say something. Sometimes somebody will say something that you know the Bible says is truly false and is a really terrible thing to say. So what do you do? Do you keep quiet? Do you speak up? Uh, do you bite your tongue? In our sermon today, Jesus had a religious conversation, actually had two of them, two of them in two different places. And the response that he got at each one was quite different. But he was careful to speak only the truth. And uh, today I think we can learn from the way in which Jesus had his conversations and apply them to the conversations that we might have in our lives too. So today let's study this text and use the theme, let's value the words of Jesus. You know, his word may not always be popular, but his word will always be powerful. Our text is Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 20. Then he, that is Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many believers, in, many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in, the, in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teachings because his words had authority. So our story this morning picks up after the, a previous set of verses in uh, Luke chapter 4. And in those verses, we're told that, Na that Jesus came to Nazareth, his hometown, and went to uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they asked him to read scriptures, and usually when a rabbi is asked to read scriptures, also expected that he will expound those scriptures to the people who are there to hear him. And so uh, Jesus came to Nazareth. It was a small town about 12 miles from the Sea of Galilee. 
Um, it was a kind of a sleepy town, only about 400 people. Uh, the um, men in the village were often uh, uh, people who had uh, skills in various arts and crafts. And uh, Joseph's father, for example, was a carpenter, wasn't he? Many others were fishermen. The uh, uh, archaeologists have found in that area toys that children played with that would included hoops uh, and some, uh, uh, something like hopscotch and also some toys, uh, wooden toys that were on wheels. So that gives you a picture of some of the uh, daily life that we would expect to find in Nazareth. So Jesus was asked to read, and as he did, he read from the book of Isaiah. And the words that he read were words that in which Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah who was going to come. When he was finished reading, then Luke uh, says that he put the um, scroll down and then uh, uh, told them that today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the first response from the people who heard him was, wow. This guy is amazing. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? Isn't this the guy who is the son of the carpenter? And he speaks so well. He seems to be so learned. How did he become such a speaker? But when they listened to the, uh, his words, when he said that these words are now fulfilled uh, in, the eyes of, uh, in your eyes right now, they didn't like that so well because he was telling them that he was the Messiah who was predicted by Isaiah in the reading that he had read. And so then he addressed that issue that he knew they were th uh, thinking and speaking about. And so he told them two stories. Because they had first told him, why don't you do for us some of the miracles that you did in Capernaum? Capernaum was a city right on the Sea of Galilee. And of course, one of those miracles would have been the changing of water into wine at the wedding in, uh, in Canaan, not in uh, Capernaum, that happened in Cana, my apologies. But those were miracles that they had heard about. And they said, well, if you're the Messiah, let's see you do some of those miracles. And then Jesus told them, or taught them a lesson using two. The first story was about the prophet Elijah and the Gentile widow from Zarephath. Now, the point that Jesus made was that there were a lot of widows during the famine in the time of Elijah the prophet. They all could have used help, but God didn't send Elijah to one of the Jewish widows, but rather to a Gentile widow in the city of Zarephath. And when Elijah got there, if you remember the story, the widow had almost no food, no flour, no oil, just a tiny little bit of each. And Elijah said, make some food for me. She didn't even hesitate, but used the last food that she had to make a meal for Elijah. And then God blessed her uh, faith and her activity by allowing that food to last her for, uh, for, uh, until the end, of the, uh, um, the end of the famine. The second story was about another prophet, Elisha, and uh, uh, the story of Elisha and the Gentile commander. The Gentile commander had leprosy. And uh, he, there was nobody who could heal him. But Elisha came to him and told him to bathe in the Jordan River. And when the captain did, his leprosy was healed. Again, Jesus said there were many people in Israel who had leprosy. But God didn't send Elisha to any one of them, but rather to, uh, Canaan, the, or rather to Naaman, the Gentile. Well, 
the people, Luke tells us, became furious at uh, these messages of Jesus. They understood what he was saying. They understood that he was giving them a rebuke and telling them that he was going to be leaving them because they weren't listening with their minds and hearts and believing what he had to say. They became furious, grabbed him, ran him out of town, and on the edge of town was a cliff, and there they tried to throw him over the cliff. Well, attitudes among people haven't changed much in 2,000 years. The people of Nazareth really did not value the words of Jesus. Not at all. They didn't see in them that these were the words of God. When he was speaking to them, they didn't say, oh, this is the Messiah speaking to us. This is the God, the Son of God. This is God himself speaking to us. And so today, too, people disregard his words. And we can see that in our society's actions, for example, marriage attitudes. When I was much younger, and believe me, the word much is in capital letters, um, it was people did not live together as husband and wife until they were married. It was very unusual for something opposite of that to happen. Or uh, if a child did become uh, uh, pregnant, they didn't think about having an abortion, but rather found other solutions in order to keep this unborn child alive uh, until, uh, through birth. Or take church attendance today. One of the things I kind of enjoy about people's attitudes towards going to church is that on Sunday morning, I never have to fight traffic to get to my favorite church. In fact, uh, a study that I found online said that in 1948, uh, in a survey, 2% of the American people said that they were non-religious. Very small portion, wasn't it? Then 24 years later, that's a long time, in 2002, 10% said they were non-religious. So it had increased by eight points, hadn't it? Then it only 14 years later, it increased another 8%, so that in 2016, 18% said that they were non-religious. Would you be surprised if it was maybe 20% or even more today? People who have no regard for God at all and care nothing for his word. When the people's attitudes towards the word makes it difficult for us to talk to them about the thing that we think is the most important, their eternal welfare. And so we find that people may reject uh, our attempts to invite them to church uh, or to tell them what's so important in our life. And I think that the first thing we should do when people reject what we have to say is to first ask ourselves, is there rejection because of the way in which I am speaking? Many times people feel that Christians are trying to push their values on them rather than offer them as an opportunity push some negative values on them rather than offering something sweet that draws them uh, to Jesus. Jesus said, my father drew, draws you to me. I once came to the conclusion that the less sure I am about a religious teaching, the louder I defend it. And the louder I argue or discuss means the less likely my friend or companion will be to listen to what I have to say. So I concluded that the first thing I needed to do was only talk about those things about, uh, in the, from the Bible about which I am really sure. And also meant that it would be important for me to continue learning more about the Bible that I can become more sure about more teachings of the Bible. 
And so I made sure that my Bible class attendance was uh, there. I, I uh, tried to improve my home devotion and Bible reading time and study time. Once I uh, feel that, felt that I had done my best and people still rejected my efforts, then at that time, I think it was I really wanted to be able to have a divine power so that I knew I was giving them the best message I possibly could in the best possible way and still, they said they were not interested. And I wish I could just take a magic wand and say, believe. And believe me, I've had that more than once. But I think it's more important for us to look at the kind of power that Jesus had and the kind of power that he used in order to bring people to Jesus. So we will continue to value the words of Jesus. We've seen that his words may not always be popular, but let's look at how his word is always powerful. Well, Jesus showed the people of Nazareth that he wasn't powerless. It said that he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. I'm going to back up just a little bit. No, I won't. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to tell you that when the people tried to push him over the cliff, they didn't have the power to do it. He walked right through them, and they couldn't touch him. Kind of a reminder of what happened during his passion, wasn't it? When the soldiers came out to arrest him and take him captive, without saying a word, they fell backwards in the presence of his power, his almighty power. But it wasn't that power that he used in order to bring people close to him. Whoa, go back. Uh, we read that he went down to Capernaum, a small town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. His words have authority. A lesson there for us, isn't it? If his words have authority, then maybe we should stand out of the way of the power of those words. Maybe those are the words that we should know. Maybe those are the words that we should be speaking. Maybe those are the words that we should be explaining. You know, this is something similar to what also Paul wrote to the Romans. He told them, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And so that's what I learned to do in my life is to focus on the words of the Bible. When I was employed, I recall job hunting advice that I had, and I hated looking for a job. They said, the hardest job you have is to look for a new job. But I remember the advice of some of the job uh, coaches. They said that when you're hunting for a job, this is the way it goes. You take your resume and you take it to a company and you give it to them and say, I would like to work here. And they're gonna say, no. And so you go to the next place, and you do the same thing. And they're going to say, no. And you go to the third place, and they say no. And then the fourth is no, and the fifth is no. You're going to have many no's before one finally says yes. You can have many no's, but you only need one yes. And a lot of times, I think that's important for us, too. Not to get discouraged when we are doing our best to share the gospel, and people are rejecting it. Um, but rather to look forward to the person who says yes. So patience is required for our attempts to share the gospel with our friends and family. We may get a lot of no responses, but soon somebody is going to say yes. 
Jesus was not stopped by people who rejected his words, but he kept preaching until he found those who would listen. And so we can be prepared to speak up at a time that somebody is really ready to hear about how much God loves him. And then we can let God's powerful work do its work. We have some clear examples of how powerful God's words are in our work in China. I told I think a couple of weeks ago, I may have, I don't remember for sure, about Chandler, one of our uh, college Bible students. This is a group of Bible students. Chandler is not in this picture. He came every week, but he wasn't a believer, and he came for four years. And each week during those four years, he would listen to the Bible story that I was teaching, and almost every time he'd say, well, that's just a story. (laughs) That's not true. That's just a story. And uh, the other students were very patient with him. Then I remember one Easter Sunday, I told the story of how Jesus was uh, raised from the dead. And he said, yeah, but that's not true. That's just a story, isn't it? And I said, you know what? This is a story that the Bible tells us. But the Bible also tells us that there were many people who were witnesses to the fact that he was alive after his resurrection. That's evidence that makes me believe that this story is true. He didn't say anything. He had a strange look on his face. Now, I don't know if he became a believer for sure, but certainly my words had no effect on him, but the power of God's word definitely did. Another example of how the word works is with Anita. Uh, Her Chinese name um, I'm not going to use, because I'm a terrible Chinese pronouncer, so I'm going to just use her English name. Anita was a woman who I met at a uh, Chinese friend's birthday party, and we had dinner at a table like this. Uh, you go to a private room, big round table, huge glass, lazy Susan, and then the uh, waiter, waitress comes out and puts a, food, a plate of food on the table, goes back and waits for another to be cooked and brings one out. And this process goes on for some time. I noticed that Anita was sitting across the table from me and she seemed very quiet. She didn't really say much at all. But later, I got a hold of her and uh, uh, chatted with her and had a chance to visit with her and got to know her kind of well, both her and her little three-year-old daughter, Susie. Andrea and I then talked about Anita privately and decided that we would try to approach her with the prospect of studying the Bible and learning some of the stories that uh, lead to salvation. Her response was yes. I let Andrea do the work. And it's kind of amazing, Andrea never had any training on how to teach the Bible. She never had any training on how to just talk to somebody about Jesus and bring them to faith. So what she did was she used the book that I showed you last time, The Promise. Copies of it are on the uh, tables outside. And if you want a copy, pick one up. If you want more, talk to your pastor or church secretary. You have more, not only in English, but many other languages as well. And as she taught these lessons to Anita, it was clear you could see the evidence of the faith growing in her heart. And after class, sometimes the next day, Anita would get a hold of a text message, Andrea, and say, did you say, God forgives me my sins? And Andrea would happily write back and say, yes. And then maybe the next day, she would write back again and say, does he forgive all of my sins? And Andrea would say, yes. And then the next day, she'd say, 
did you say, do, uh, do you think that God will forgive me even those sins that my family won't forgive me? And Andrea could happily say, yes. That's the message of the Bible. And that's the message that we want to make sure that people get. You can guess Anita's response, a response of faith. And so after they had finished the promise, she said, I want to learn some more. And so Andrea had to find other Bible studies to teach her. I would like you to see a response like Anita's among your friends, co-workers, family, those who just have not taken hold of the gospel and let it uh, go into their hearts through their ears and brain in order to create the faith that gives them eternal life. Andrew and I have seen that happen many times in China, many times with college students, many times with adults, even with church leaders who did not have a solid foundation of the teachings of the Bible and who appreciate the very uh, basic message of law and gospel, of sin and grace that we Lutherans have. And so I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the promise. You too can avoid the mistake of hoping to convince somebody um, of uh, their salvation with your own words. I want to add one little quick note to Anita. She wasn't ready for a complete 100% change. Soon after she became a believer, her mother died. And so she and her brother followed the Chinese custom of buying some paper money at a table like this, taking it to a, a, a sidewalk, a street, a park, and burning the money in the belief that now this would provide spiritual money for her mother in whatever spiritual world she was in so that she could survive. But given time, the word does its work. The word does what God promises it will do. And so I encourage you to value the words of Jesus. They might all, not always be popular, but I promise you they will always be powerful. Amen.